This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, Inside Carolina people? You're about to listen to the latest Inside Carolina podcast with myself, Tommy Ashley, Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, and Greg Barnes. If you get a moment, take a chance to rate us on iTunes or however you're getting these podcasts. Ratings help us help you and make Inside Carolina podcasts more visible to the masses. They also make us feel good. So take the time to do a rating, leave a review, and enjoy the next edition of the Inside Carolina podcast. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Listen to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Johnny T-Shirt, a place you need to visit online and in person if you get the chance in Chapel Hill at some point in the future. Uh, great sponsors of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina. If you're watching this on YouTube, you know who my guests are, but if you're on the podcast, we're going to talk football today. It's been a while since we've had a football discussion. So I've sort of brought part of the band back together, and with the band comes the leader, and that leader is Mr. Buck Sanders. Buck, how you doing? Doing great, Tommy. Hope you guys are. Hadn't been been a while since I've seen you. It has. That's the the beauty of these Zoom YouTube videos is we get to see each other. Also got Jason Staples uh, in living hell, it looks like. <laughs> and Greg Barnes joins us. Greg, I'm going to jump straight into it. College football's uh, not that far away, and I don't know if there's a concrete plan out there, if anybody knows one, but give us an update on what you know on how this thing is going to work, players coming back to campus, and, and all that. Well, as we expected, North Carolina was going to do everything they could to kind of speed things along once NCAA allowed um, programs to let players come back for voluntary workouts on, on June 1st and it was kind of a, a race to see who could get back on campus first and we had we had heard all along and you know, Mac Brown had talked about it but even dating back to, to March the idea was uh, let's get coaches back on campus mid-June try to get players back by July 1st as Brian Hess told us he needed you know, really eight weeks is what what he would like to have worst case scenario to get guys prepped for the season assuming that the season you know starts on time and so we knew that was kind of what they were gunning for and as it turns out that's that's exactly how this is uh playing out you've got um you know the first wave of players are coming back june 12th and that's probably going to be your 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 starters your veterans uh maybe some guys that are injured um you know there's also the the mental health aspect that unc has been really concerned about you guys who maybe are not handling it as well being away from campus. Um, so you know, some players like that that they want to take care of. June 19th, more of your second team guys, and then you get into June 26th, which is primarily specialists and some of your freshmen. 
And then that last phase, June 29th, uh, primarily being your walk-ons, maybe some, some players who uh, weren't quite comfortable coming back to, to school yet uh, due to COVID-19 concerns. And for those who express those concerns, you know, Mac Brown and his staff are willing to let them move to the back of the line. But I think the important thing is, is people thought, well, you know, you get these players back in June, they're ready to go. That's not the case. That's not the game plan here. The game plan, basically, to get them back, to get them accustomed to what UNC is asking them to do, um, and then have everybody ready to go by July 1. And that's the path they're on. And the official word is they're not even talking about the season yet in terms of are they going to have competition. Unofficially, obviously, everybody knows that's not the case. I think right now it's, it's not so much if the season is going to be played. It's, it's going to be in front of how many people. Uh, but I, I do want to throw this tidbit in, Tommy, because I think this, this kind of speaks to how seriously UNC is, is taking COVID-19. Uh, I actually played Finley Golf Course the other day, and they've got the entire clubhouse shut down. Uh, when I went to pay, uh, the gentleman that was, was taking payment, he used a trash picker-upper, you know, one of the long things that has a handle, squeeze handle, to get my credit card. And then if, for those of you that have played golf, a lot of courses are started using pool noodles just to put in the, the cups so that you don't have to reach all the way down into the cup. UNC's pool noodles are about like that. So you can't even get inside the cup. And so uh, what some of my playing partners were doing was hitting the ball as hard as they could at the flag stick because you, if you touch the, the pool noodle, then it counted. And so we had a few that hit and ricocheted off about 15 feet. But that speaks to how seriously UNC is, is taking it. Uh, and so I think that's going to play out across all the sports uh, across campus. Man, I definitely could have used that. I had probably the worst putting performance of my, uh, I'm not sure how many years yesterday. I had 44 putts in a round, which uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I'll, I'll surpass anytime soon. I normally am in the 34 range. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, 32 nice, to yeah. 34 44 is uh i couldn't hit anything so i could have used those pool those extra that extra pool noodle thing but they took them out because <laughs> it was actually a, a a tournament situation which made the, the putting that much worse for me <laughs> remind me not to take you to play uh adventureland or jungle golf or something you kill us man buck um you know we talked a little bit off air the plan is to get these players back on campus, but no real official plan of competition. Your take on this now, we've talked a lot. I think they're playing college football. They have to, somehow, some way. Um, Buck, your feelings on how this all may work as we go into the phase where the kids are getting back on campus. Well, all I can give you are my feelings because I obviously don't know anything. But, um, you know, the game that uh, concerns me or worries me a little bit is the opener against Central Florida because you, you, you got train, uh, plane travel involved, uh, you know, on the road for that long, uh, getting back and forth to the stadium. Uh, in terms of – and probably, I don't know – uh, who knows what the status of COVID-19 will be at that time. Um, right now, Florida's not doing that well in terms of uh, new infections. So uh, that would be a game I don't know is going to actually come off or not. I'd be surprised to see them cancel the Auburn game. Um, 
I just think it's uh, there's a lot of money involved, number one, um, and it's not as bad of a trip. Um, so that game could probably come off. And if you're going to do social distancing, it'd be easier to do it in a, a stadium that seats 75,000, Greg, something like that or more. Um, so that game will probably come off. And then I'm guessing, uh, you know, unless there's a school that just chooses not to play football in the ACC, then, and I actually don't see that happening. Uh, I see the full conference schedule going going off. The other game, depending again on you know what the state of play is with the uh, coronavirus, uh, that might be on the chopping block. At least is the way I'm thinking is the UConn game. Uh, so, and you know if they cancel the Central Florida game, you know the it was supposed to be a home and home series and. They were supposed to play in Keenan Stadium, what, three years ago, two years ago, something like that. And two years ago. It was a hurricane that that caused that to, uh, game to get canceled. So uh, we didn't, uh, UNC didn't end up playing that game either. So, you know, uh, and the other piece of it is uh, when, when they do have games in Keenan, how many fans are going to be able to attend? But in any event, you know, what the seating plan is going to be is, you know, anybody's guess. I'm guessing some portion of uh, season ticket holders, if not all of them. I think last year they sold 28,000. I think I heard somebody say or saw a quote by someone that they have sold 94% of – they've got 94% renewal already. So – and even those that – that buy season tickets, some may choose not to go to games. If they're in a uh, difficult demographic, elderly people like myself and others. Jason, uh, you know, it's hard to yell at you when you're holding sweetness um, and sitting in, um, I don't know, it looks like Hogwarts library. Of uh, some this, sort. Is doc- this is Dr. Strange's uh, area here. <laughs> Jason, your opinion on uh, the importance of all of getting these games played. I agree with Buck. If you're going to jettison any games, it would be those two, the the UConn and the UCF. But, you know, they got to play um, college football across the country. There's going to be a ton of, of universities in trouble. Um, your take on Buck's thoughts there. And also, um, are we being realistic in all this? So I, I've struggled with this for some weeks because I'm, I'm getting a lot of messages from the UNC system and from the chancellor at the, at the institution where, where I work within the university system. And the impression that I have is that there's still so much concern about COVID-19 in the fall that, I mean, I know NC State, for example, is – they're basically they're starting the semester early and try and they're going to finish the semester before Thanksgiving break in order to in order to maximize the hot weather months and try to miss whenever you know second wave is most likely to come and uh, and then classrooms are basically going to be in 25 percent occupancy kind of thing or 30 percent occupancy uh, I know that like the class uh, the, the classes of the type that I'm teaching they're looking at 
half the class comes in one day, half the class comes in another, or lots of classes just going straight online, uh, various hybrid options and all of that. And it's hard for me to imagine that schools that are doing that are going to be really gung-ho about putting a bunch of people in stadiums. And so I'm not sure how realistic it is right now to talk about college football being played in the fall. Um, and, you know, I, at the same point, when you look at the money, <laughs> you go, yeah, they're, they're going to find a way to do this somehow to be able to, 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 get, to get a product out there. So that's why I think this is so difficult to, to consider is that you have uh, sort of the, 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 the upper administrators at the universities are taking the much more conservative, much more careful kind of route. And the people on the, on the sports side and, you know, people who are looking at the budgets are inclined, are going to be inclined to do other things. So I think a lot of it is going to be, is going to be dependent on what we see actually the next month or so. I mean, with, with the current, uh, with the, the current protests and all of that, with all of the people that are, that are in close contact, if I, I, I think there's actually, and, and I hate to say it this way because these are, these are serious protests that, that, in, that are uh, about things that are a lot more important than sports. Uh, but my guess is that some of the decision makers here are actually going to be looking at what happens in terms of how many more new cases do we get as a result of lots of people out in the streets in close proximity. And if we don't see the ramp up in, in, uh, in serious cases, that actually makes it more likely, I think, that we would see the season just because you, you might see those, those decision makers sort of talking in back rooms going, well, look, you know, we had a million people uh, marching together in Philadelphia and here were the results. Well, this means, this suggests that we might be able to do a little bit more. So I, I just think we're at a point right now where there's a lot more unknowns and, and they're going to try to pre prepare and plan as though the season's going to happen. And then just, you know, but we don't have any idea of what the, what the decisions are actually going to be once we have, have more information. So I, I do think that they're going to find a way to play the season, whether it's in the, I mean, if they have to play the college football season in the spring, they'll do it because they, they can't afford not to. And that's the thing is I think there's going to be a season. Exactly. I think Buck's right. Some games may get canceled. There may be some unevenness in scheduling and, you know, heck some universities may not participate, but my, my, my suspicion is that they will find a way to play, but it's just a matter of when they're going to play and exactly, exactly how. And, you know, I think spring, I, I've, I thought for a while spring would be more likely. Now I'm inclined to think they're going to try to do it in the fall, but it, it's just, we'll see what happens the next few weeks. Well, I think we have to be honest about kind of what's going on here. And Jason hit on it there. The only reason you play these games is because of money. That's it. That's the only reason. And if you're okay with that, that's, that's perfectly fine. Um, and I, I think when you look at, I mean, there's already been programs. You, ECU uh, has had to cut, announce programs that they're going to cut. Uh, Appalachian State, and those are just two in, in our state that if they're already talking about cutting programs. And that revenue from football is so strong and so influential. You're going to do every single thing you can to play. And you know, talking, when you talk to, to Bubba and you listen to what he says and you listen to what 
some of the, the higher ups say they're going to follow John Swafford. They're going to follow kind of what the, the state and medical expert, middle medical experts opinions are and how to approach this. And I find it fascinating. If you look at the, you know, the North Carolina data that we have, you know, the, the rolling seven day average for, for cases has gone up the last two weeks. And yet, what are we seeing? We're seeing there's, there's already going to be a move to phase 2.5. And what that tells me is, is people are, are done with this, by and large, and they're, they're putting an emphasis more on the money than, than the health side. Uh, and they, they think that the economic aspect of it is more important than health. Whatever your opinion is on it is fine, but, but that kind of looks to be the trend of how this thing is going. And so if we're seeing that at the state level, I think that probably provides athletic programs the ammunition they need to go ahead and make that next step and, and try to get these games played, uh, hopefully on schedule. But like Jason says, certainly a situation where if they have to push it back even to the, the spring. I mean, we know the ACC has already had those conversations. That's, those conversations have been had for, for weeks now. And so that's, that's not unique. So I, I do think we're going to see – probably see the entire season uh you know two months ago i said no way but this is the way that the money's driving everything i think it's a little bit changed tommy i did want to ask you buck mentioned you know because north carolina reduced capacity to fifty one thousand, season tickets uh were also reduced to 28.4 so you're a you're a season ticket guy your family has been for a long long time if unc comes out and says okay we're going to have a, a staggered uh re-entry for fans at Keenan Stadium. And let's, let's just say 15,000 opening, opening day, the second, third week of September. What is fair and equitable for the fan base that have season tickets in saying, okay, well, half of you that have season tickets can go to that first game. How do you do that? How do you make that number work? I, uh, I do not know how they they could do that, not given how the schedule is. And I'd like to discuss it. Jason, what you got? And then we're going to dig into this because I think this is a big thing that the fan base, especially a lot of people that are listening to this podcast and watching this are going to be discussing. Because if you tell 15,000 they can come in and the other 15,000 can't, that's going to be interesting, Jason. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Um, you know, one other thing that, to think about here, too, is that, is that we've got to remember, and this, is, this builds off of what uh, Greg was just saying, is that we've got to remember that the point of the social distancing and all of that, especially at the start with the more severe social distancing, was to flatten things out. And so we could see an, you know, an increase in cases within certain bounds that, the powers that be just say, yeah, that's what we kind of expect at this point. And the whole point of slowing things down was to be able to build up the capacity to be able to handle those extra cases. And as long as we stay within those bounds, then it's really not a choice between economics and lives or whatever. I mean, economics involves lives anyway, but, um, but it's a matter of, do we have the capacity to actually handle any major cases that we have rather than, you know, choosing who gets to go on a ventilator and not. And that's really what, what's going on here. So if we don't see a massive spike where, you know, all of a sudden you have uh, emergency rooms overrun, then, you know, my, my neighbor is a, is a public health professor and he said 
two, three months ago, he said, look, the, the whole point of all this right now, we've got to get from where, get, get from where to where we're treating this as a chronic problem that we can treat on, you know, that, that we have the capacity to treat because most people are going to get this. It's a matter of making sure we have the capacity to treat it. We've got to get out of Christ, handle this as a, as a problem, but not as a crisis. And that, the question is, will we be there in time to be able to do at least limited crowds and that sort of thing for, for sports? And given the money, I think, Greg, you're right. They're, they're likely to, uh, given the money, they're, they're likely to want to, uh, to, to get there, at least feel like they're there earlier than not. Let, let, let's talk about the fan deal that, Greg, you brought up. And Buck, I want to bring you in on this because we've discussed it before. And uh, I want to get to the actual football team after this little segment here. But, Buck, like Greg said, if Carolina or other schools or however they want to do it, I've heard – I can't remember who it was. Maybe Iowa said they were going to have season ticket holders only. And their season ticket holders are roughly half of their stadium, so they can do that. Um, Greg, like you pointed out, Carolina can't do that to exactly. And then you have uh, any opponent fans, you have family, whatever. Uh, so, Buck, how does that work? And, and you as a season ticket holder as well, how does that work when they come up and they say, okay, Buck Sanders, you can go see uh, the NC State game, but you can't go see the Virginia Tech game or vice versa. I mean, I, I just don't see that situation playing well with any fan base um, across the country, especially not here in Chapel Hill in North Carolina. The short answer is that uh, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> you know, in the Iowa uh, – Iowa State, I guess, situation, they're not making any allotment for visiting fans either. And uh, I didn't saw no mention of students. They were just talking about season ticket holders. And the two are roughly equivalent. Uh, 28,000 is a little more than uh, half of Keenan Stadium. But, but Iowa State's planning on a 50% capacity. And I'm kind of guessing – even if they sell 28,000, which uh, seems like they must be close to doing, there's going to be a number of people that will, if they give them the option, we will let you defer this until the next year because of the situation or we'll refund you, you know? So I'm guessing that 28,000 number is going to be down into the 24,000 range once all of that sorts itself out. So the situations are, are pretty similar. If you're in a situation where you can have that many people inside of Keenan Stadium, if you can get the 50% capacity, if, uh, you know, that's phase three or four or whatever um, in North Carolina, and you can have that many people in one place, and it's outdoors, so that helps. Um, then, you know, I, I see it as a potentially all-season holders – uh, season ticket holders that want to go will probably be able to go. That's my guess. It's going to be an interesting discussion. I, I'm in. If they play and folks are allowed, I'm in. And most folks I know are in as well. But I, I think there's a, a fair amount of people that won't go. And, um, you know, with it being on TV and people with their 75-inch high-definition televisions, I can't say I blame them if you have that option. 
Um, let me take a second and talk about Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Look, folks, it's Father's Day coming up. They've got a bunch of great deals going on. They're discounting the football and basketball jerseys. Uh, you got workout gear, summer gear, and we're talking about college football season. So you're going to need your gear for college football season one way or another, whether you're sitting at home watching it or you're in stadiums across the country watching it and here in North Carolina. Check out johnnytshirt.com and Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. And, of course, if you're watching this or listening to this and you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, you get that 10% off your order. Mm. You, couple, you, you couple that with uh, 25 30% sales that they have often, you get stuff for next to nothing. And you can't you know, Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com, great sponsors of Inside Carolina and this Inside Carolina podcast. While I'm on the subject of paying some bills, I'm going to take a short break, let the national guys have their time. We'll be right back on the Inside Carolina podcast. And we're back. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples, Buck Sanders, and now I'm going to ask Greg Barnes. Greg, so let's get to the football team specifically. I opened the show with you talking about uh, the schedule of bringing players in. My question um, to you is, who decides who comes when? I mean, I, I could just leave it there, but I mean, I, we we assume we know who will come with each group, but I don't think it's as definite as some people might think. Well, what happened was they got word uh, Friday before last that this is going to happen, and that's when we were able to talk to Mac. And he told his coaching staff, he said, all right, it's Friday. By Monday morning, I want a list of every single player and on what date you think they need to come back on. And I want reasons why. And as I said, if you just, in simplest terms, it's starters first, you know, heavy reserves, you guys that play a lot. Then you got your second teamers. Then you got your special teams and freshmen. And then last, you've got your welcomes. Then you filter in the other aspects. You know, are, are guys hesitant to come back because of COVID-19 concerns? Well, maybe you push them you know, toward the end of the line. Uh, maybe there are guys who don't have the, the home setup in terms of weight or in terms of support. Uh, and there's some mental health issues because this, this is going to be a, a problem, I think, for a lot of people uh, beyond sports uh, in, the, in the coming months as, as we deal with the fallout of all this. So if there's any, any of those players that they've kind of flagged for those issues, then you move them up. You want them back on campus as quickly as you can to kind of get them settled and get them the help that they may need. Uh, and so it's hard to – obviously, it's hard to know who those individuals may be, but I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, Sam Howell is going to be back as soon as he can be back. Uh, and then you get into the interesting things. You know, which of the freshmen are going to be guys uh, that they expect to contribute early? Uh, Josh Downs, uh, can about guarantee you he's going to be back in that first group because they expect a lot out of him. Uh, he's he's going to be pushing people for playing time at wide receiver. Uh, and so it's really just that kind of makeup in terms of the, the coaching staff uh, really gets to say, okay, we think we need this guy early because he's got to be ready to go to July 1 because we expect him to play a lot. And you kind of filter it out from there. And then, of course, Mac has final decision. Uh, but we haven't received an official list of that. Uh, but but they're, you know, the, the big names are coming in uh, June 12th from, from everything that we've heard. Buck, is everybody in the same boat here? We, had, we, we talked, gosh, I guess it's been a month and a half ago about 
what teams were doing dealing with all this. But do you think ultimately all teams are in the same boat with this as far as uh, how they're dealing with it? A lot of people have talked about people that had spring practice may have better uh, results, whatever. Uh, I mean, is everybody just – it is what it is at this point? Yeah, uh, it's not going to be fair. I mean, uh, there are teams that got in all spring practice. There are teams that got in half of spring practice. And, and they're not going to give North Carolina any makeup extra time when they're uh, allowed to, you know, to, to actually go back and do some practicing. They're, they're not going to give them extra time because they didn't get to have spring practice. So, uh, you know, there, there's not going to be – you know, it's not going to be an apples-to-apples situation in terms of act, actual practice time. And uh, and then, you know, as Jason would say, you know, first-year co- uh, coaches are going to suffer if they're instituting a new scheme. Uh, and, uh, e- you know, even first-year coordinators that are trying to install a new offense, like you have a situation at Miami and other places, so, no, it's not going to be even. But here's the thing, Tommy. There is no parity in college football. You know, there there is parity in the NFL for the most part. But there is no parity in, in college football. So, we, we need to get past that, you know, initially and just understand what college football is. I, I forget there's just – less than both of my hands uh, that have been to the college football playoff uh, in the five years they've had it out of 20 teams. So, uh, you know, there are teams that want to crack into that. Uh, and I think UNC is one of them. But uh, the the idea that there's parity in college football is a myth to begin with. Jason, that's, that's your wheelhouse. Um, you know, we can talk about it later in this podcast, the – name and likeness and all that stuff but uh speak to buck's statement there about the fairness unfairness or it is what it is of all this it's hard hard to add anything he said it so well i mean the thing is it first of all if you're a first year coach whether you're a head coach or a coordinator whatever it's not just being able to install schemes or getting your guys to know that stuff i mean coaches all over the country have been uploading videos of installations and everything else and having zoom meetings with their players and doing everything possible to make sure they know that stuff. But it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to actually do it and learn them, you know, to get into the rhythm of, of playing within the scheme. But the other thing is all the techniques and all the drills that you do to help your guys be able to, to, operate according to what you want. I mean, you think about Jay Bateman and all the stuff that he does as, as a defensive coordinator to help his team learn to tackle the way that he wants. And he had said during the clinic last year, it would take a little while for his guys to sort of catch on to how they wanted to do it. But in year two, year three, you'd really see a jump in there. There just wouldn't be missed tackles. Not like, you know, there, there were before. Well, that, if you're, especially if you're Jay Bateman, if he'd taken over last year, all of a sudden you're one more year behind. Losing spring really hurts for, for that sort of thing because that's when you work on a lot of those extra, extra drills and you get your guys set to work on technique and, and the technical stuff over the course of the summer as well. Uh, so if you're a first-year coordinator, first-year coach, that really hurts. Carolina is not in that boat. That's a good thing. <laughs> That, you know, their players, the, the veteran players know what drills they need to do, and they've been able to sort of deliver that 
on to uh, to some of the younger guys who who weren't uh, as as familiar with that. Some of the freshmen and all that they can get that from some of the young guys when they're when they're uh, reporting even before they get into into team drills. So that helps. But as far as the rest of it, yeah, it's the idea that 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 you know there's an even playing field to preserve in college football is nonsense at this point. I mean. It, it just it's not an even playing field and and any pretense to the contrary is just that it's a pretense there it is greg who, who what positions does this hurt worse uh, i mean sam howe and his receivers can work uh defensive backs i think can work but the lines offensive line defensive lines i mean how in the world does stacy searles get his guys up to speed in this short amount of time, relatively short amount of time, without, like Jason said, spring ball. Yeah, I think offensive line play is going to be a question for, for a lot of programs. I think it's going to be sloppier than normal because of that. Uh, you just have to have that chemistry. You have to have repeated reps. You're not going to get enough reps in training camp to be uh, you know, as, as solid as you would like to be. Now, can you get enough reps in training camp and some in the offseason uh, to be effective? Well, of course, uh, but maybe not as good as you would have liked. And that's, that's what's going to be interesting is if the, uh, the AFCA uh, proposal goes through, which there's some hope that it will, that they'll be able to get six weeks of training camp instead of just four, uh, we should get word on that in the next week or two. Uh, that's going to help tremendously. But, but for sure, you know, I, I think also, too, and, and Jay Bateman, I like his approach and the fact that he's got Tim Cross with him as well, both guys from military academies. Uh, they can they can handle this type of situation in terms of you, know, you deal with what you got to deal with when when guys have to leave for conditioning or uh, go overseas for some reason like Tim Cross was telling us you had a guy so yeah I got to leave for the summer I'm going to Afghanistan um, and so you kind of adapt but with with Jay Bateman you know, wanting to do so much more with his defense because he's got uh, a lot of options now in the secondary where he had none last year that's that's not helpful. Um, but you know, if you can get four to six weeks there, that's going to help, help kind of get those uh, players back in, in place of what you want. But I don't think there's any question that the offensive line is, is the biggest question mark. But fortunately, as we've talked about, it's, it's across the board. It's every single program in the, in the country uh, is going to have that same issue. And so it's whichever coaches can coach them up the best. And it's also guys, uh, you know, teams that have the most experienced players. And so North Carolina, uh, by and large, is in pretty good shape there, even though you do have some some key pieces to replace. Buck, last couple questions on this topic. Uh, Brian Chacos, Mike Ingersoll, they used to talk about how they hated camp and the boredom and the drone on of camp. And now we're talking about making it six weeks in the dead heat of the summer. What happens then? Uh, I mean, you've got, you've got guys that are uh, going to be ground to dust in the next six weeks whenever they get back together? Well, uh, the, the first two weeks, as I understand the proposal, are uh, what the NL, NFL refers to as OTAs, uh, other team activities, which uh, I, I don't even think the, the coaches are allowed to uh, do a ton of interacting with them during those, those two weeks. It's uh, more restricted than the last four weeks. And they're just basically glorified walkthroughs. And, and even then, there probably have to be some social distancing in play then. So uh, there, there's no one-on-ones. You don't have wide receivers going against uh, defensive backs and OTAs. 
you, you don't have an offensive lineman going against a defensive lineman in some kind of Oklahoma drill or something like that. They're essentially just walkthroughs. And so they're not going to be quite as strenuous. And plus, they have that uh, multi-million, gajillion-dollar indoor practice facility to kind of keep the heat off of them um, in the heat of summer. It's not the same as it used to be when you were out there on Navy fields standing on crushed rubber tires, uh, you know, uh, that you could smell heating up. So, uh, you know, I don't expect it to be, you know, uh, a tremendous burden to do six weeks um, when the first two weeks really is not going to be that strenuous. And it remains to be seen how strenuous the next four weeks is going to be. And just in general, you know, uh, Jason touched on it a little bit, and so did you, Tommy. What we're getting ready to see is, particularly maybe for the first half of the season, is some sloppy football. And But most people, particularly the athletic departments, they'd rather have sloppy football than no football. Mm -hmm. Sloppy football still pays. Jason Boredom, OTAs, preseason camp, speak to it. You've been there. I mean, there's a certain point where – you can only line up. I mean, if you're, if there's no one-on-ones, no actual competition part, that makes it worse because you're just standing and you're just like, okay, let's line up over here. All right, here we go. Let's do this. And you know, you can only do that so many times and keep the players uh, focused. So, I mean, that, that'll be a, a big challenge if they do that. It's, it's not so much the physical pounding. I mean, the physical pounding of camp is, is always going to be a problem, but it's the mental focus that is going to be the task for coaches. And, and, and they'll have to find ways, if they're going six weeks with these guys together without, have, without having an opponent, without preparing for anybody else, without seeing anybody but the ugly guy on the other side of the ball that you're used to, at some point, you, you've got you, to find a way to keep those guys motivated. And that's what's going to differentiate a lot of the best coaches from others is ways to keep those, keep those guys interested during those six weeks so that those six weeks are completely, uh, are completely useful, completely fruitful. Otherwise, you know, you're just, you're just there. Yeah. When it's going to be a hundred degrees in Chapel Hill during the summer, a lot of people worry about the COVID. I worry about these guys uh, going at it in some form for weeks on end leading up to the season. We'll see how it works out. That being said, let's wrap this podcast. Greg Barnes talking a little bit about these preseason expectations that keep coming up for Carolina. Um, I saw today, I believe 24-7 Sports had one ahead. Carolina's projected to win the Coastal. Most I've seen have Miami up there. But, you, you know, how much – does that put more pressure on Mac Brown and his staff and the players, or do they welcome that? Because, um, quite frankly – we're getting into the realm already of expectations that I don't think even the most avid Carolina fan expected two years ago. I think it's a good thing. And I think the way Mac Brown is wired and the way he coaches these guys, uh, he wants them to feel that pressure, right? I mean, one of the most enlightening things that he said all year last year, and he said a lot of stuff because he talks a lot was after they won the opener against South Carolina, and then they went and win the game against Miami Everybody's sky high and has all these uh, you know, incredible thoughts of what can happen. Like we can win the coastal and maybe you know, get to a uh, New Year's Day six bowl and those kind of things. And what do you say? He says, 
but you are what your record says you are. And if you want to play in big games, now you get to play in some big games. How are you going to respond? And what happens? They go and trip up and, and lose two in a row to, to Wake and App State. And so see, you're, you're not as far along as you thought you were. We have a lot of work to do. Uh, so he likes the expectations, expectations being on the guys. He wants them to fill that. Because if they want to get uh, you know, their, their chest puffed out a little bit, fine. But you better back it up. You better bring it. And uh, I think that's how you have to have. You can't run from expectations. You have to embrace them. And you have to use them as motivation. If people think you're good, they think you're good for a reason. And either you live up to it or you don't. And uh, it's, it's pretty easy in sports, right? I mean, if you win or you lose. And, and the good teams win and the, the bad teams don't. And the fact that Mac is, is so upfront about that and challenging his guys. And I guarantee you he's talked to him about that this offseason. You've got all these expectations. Live up to it, or else you're going to embarrass yourself. And people are going to say, "Ah, they they really weren't that good." Um, are they are they to the level that some of the preseason hype is at right now? I, I don't think so. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll, that's why they played the season, and uh, certainly they'll be. I expect them to be better than they were last year, and that puts you into a conversation because, as we know, the, the coastal uh, really for the past decade has been average at best. And I think North Carolina can be better than average, and therefore they're you know, in position to, to give it a run this year. It is interesting watching all the highlight videos, watching the South Carolina and Miami game, and then you look, and Carolina was 6-6. Six and six. Like you said, Greg, Mike Brown is – you are what your record says you are. Jason, I'll let you go, then I'm going to let Buck close it. But, Jason, the weight of expectations, how does it affect college, college athletes? Uh, you know, I think usually with – with athletes uh, in general, you want to have high expectations. You want to have that. You want to have that pressure. Uh, you want you want to be in the position where you know what we're good enough that people actually are talking about us. As long as the work is done, as long as the pride is there in doing the. Uh, doing all the work that it takes to actually do that. And that's, that's one of the things that the best programs, they focus on the, on the, uh, on the process of getting there and take pride in we outwork or we out prepare everybody that we play. As long as you do that, then when you, when you see the expectations that everybody else has for you, it's like, you know what? Yeah, we, we're going to be that good and we're going to live up to that. And, and, you, you're, you welcome that kind of pressure. I think it is harder because, you know, there, there's, a, there's this sense. And when you watch, you know, guys like Michael Jordan invent doubters for themselves, you can see how that motivation works. You do want to, you know, have that, that sense. But I think in some ways, Carolina's in a nice sweet spot for that, where, like you said uh, earlier, I think, uh, I think, Greg, you were the one that said that Mac is going to be able to use that of, well, you know, those expectations are there. And if you guys don't live up to it, then all those doubters are going to come back out and they're going to say they weren't that good. That's a great place to be if you're thinking about motivating your team. It, because then you have the combination of the expectations that you want and enough doubters that you can try to prove wrong. And so to me, that, that puts Carolina in a nice spot coming into this next year for that. And, you know, the fact is when you have a really good quarterback, expectations come with it no matter what I mean even no matter what else you have on your team if you've got a great quarterback that's the face of your program everybody expects things to go great uh, and it certainly helps 
So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think in general, if I'm the, if I'm coaching for Carolina this year, I feel really good about being able to motivate my guys with the combination of expectations and the history of, you know, doubt, doubters of the UNC program being proven right. You, are you guys going to be the guys that actually get it right this time? That, that, that's something I would be pushing. Great stuff, Buck Sanders. We've been doing this a long time and, uh, you know, it's it's not rare, but it's not – it doesn't happen a lot where Carolina football is looked at as a player on anything other than the state championship. Your thoughts on all this? It's, it's ironic to me. I don't know if it's ironic or just so Carolina football that we're talking about whether or not 2020 season happens in some form or in full or whatever. And this is the year Carolina could be one of the best Carolina teams they've had in quite a long while. There's my Tommy, glass, <laughs> glass half empty Tommy. Um, you know, um, you, we really haven't heard a lot of discussion like we typically see in the off season. I, I don't even know if I've read on a message board once, Tarpret Premium message board. Uh, the uh, anybody drag out the old Lucy and Charlie Brown football um, analogy? You know, uh, I'm not. I haven't even seen that lately. Um, and, you know, I think it helps in this regard, the expectations, is that it's a way for Mac to focus his team on what's important. He can show them, okay, here's who you were last year. Here's your record. You were 6-6. Six and six, And every single one of your losses were a touchdown or less. So are you going to learn to finish and, and then – live up to expectations or are you going to not live up to, you know, not be there at the end of the game and do what you need to do to win games late and not live up to your expectations? Because honestly, looking at the schedule, I mean, even, I mean, this is crazy to say, but, you know, I, I don't see Auburn being much more than a seven point favorite, maybe. Um, and so, who else on the schedule? I, I'm saying that's their toughest game. Who else are they going to play that, you know, should have a seven-point advantage? Maybe Miami down there. I don't know. It depends on how their season goes. But uh, they're not looking at playing anybody that is an overwhelming favorite to beat them. They're, they're playing a lot of teams that can beat them, that beat them last year. And, and the way to get over that is to learn how to finish games. And so I think it's a little bit of a double-edged sword you know, here's who you were last year, you know, and we're pretty much the same guys you are this year. How, how are you going to make this season different? How are you going to change this narrative uh, going forward? So, you know, that's how I look at it. I think is, and one thing, trust me, the best idea that I could possibly come up with on how Mac Brown could motivate his team is like light years less than what, <laughs> Mac's going to come up with. So truth. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that, that, that he'll find a way to motivate his guys into the season next year. It's going to be interesting to watch, interesting to follow. Of course, we'll be here with Inside Carolina. Take the time to rate this podcast on iTunes, however you get your podcast, and click down below to subscribe to Inside Carolina on YouTube channel. A lot of great content. A lot of great videos, interviews, whatever you need. And then you get to see Buck, Jason, and Greg and I talk about Carolina football. You can't beat it. 
Jason with his revolving door of backgrounds, Buck with the classic <laughs> clean inside Carolina look, Greg with his law library and his 24-7 sports and me with my – there is no off-season. You're missing this if you're not listening or watching on YouTube. Guys, it's always fun. Can't read yours, Jason. It said it looks Royster like, Society of Fellows there. It looks like spit up. <laughs> <laughs> Great time on Inside Carolina. Rate us, review us on iTunes and, and podcast channels. Like us, subscribe on YouTube. Guys, it's always been a pleasure. Johnny T-Shirt, thank you for uh, being a Father's Day place to go for gear. But Jason and Greg, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks Tommy. Tommy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.